Because it is hard to believe that another year has come and gone already. And the old adage that time flies is certainly true, but you know what? It's not only true, it's also very scriptural. Because scripture reminds us, or warns us, depending on your perspective, that we're all only here for a short time. And James said in chapter 4 of his epistle, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. And so for us here today, 2017 is quickly coming to a close, and 2018 looms on the horizon. And with the anticipation of a new year at our doorstep, we all want to get off to a good start, don't we? And sometimes we try to do that by making resolutions and commitments for the coming year that in reality will be both challenging and difficult to sustain over the long term, primarily because they tend to be painful and uncomfortable, and they require some sort of physical action on our part. And so it comes as no surprise that the top three New Year's resolutions are as follows. Exercise more, lose weight, and eat healthy. The big three. Now, none of these resolutions are bad in and of themselves. But as we know, their impact is usually limited and they have a short shelf life. And interestingly, they all have the same thing in common. They're all designed to minister primarily to the flesh, ignoring the soul and the spirit. Therefore, what I'm going to suggest to you today in order to help all of you get off to the best start in 2018 is a departure from the norm. Because its value is found not in something that you do, but by what you think. And specifically, what you think about yourself in light of Scripture as it relates to your identity. Because in order for your Christian life to function in a healthy way, and as God intended, your foundations must be properly constructed in two key areas. And the first one is you must have a correct understanding of who God is. If you don't have that, you'll be messed up. Secondly, you must have a correct understanding of who you are in relation to God. And number two is where we're going to focus our attention today. Because whether you're new to the kingdom or whether you're a savvy veteran and you've been around for a while, understanding and maintaining a proper perspective on your identity is critically important. And it's important because although our spirits have been reborn and given new life, the reality is as long as we're here, we must still contend daily with the world the flesh, and the devil. And far too often, they're not very nice to us. In fact, they often work in concert with each other in an attempt to deceive and to render us weak and ineffective as kingdom people. And if we're going to become all that God intended us to be, we must learn to resist those attacks and persevere. And one of the most effective ways we can do that is by what Paul describes in Romans chapter 12, as the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our minds begins with a proper understanding and perspective of our identity. Now, Pastor Rock has talked a little bit over the last few months about the dangers of creating God in our own image and the pitfalls associated with that. But you know what? 
we can also do the same thing to ourselves. Because although we're members of God's kingdom, we can find ourselves identifying with our old nature more often than we ought to. And we can be tricked into believing lies about our identity and therefore not live up to our God-given potential as his chosen people. So with 2018 quickly approaching, I don't think there's any better time to shore up the foundations of our soul by examining what the scriptures reveal about our identity as followers of Christ. And if you're able to embrace and lay a hold of what I'm going to share with you today, it'll benefit you far more in the long run than any commitment to diet and exercise. And so I've chosen two passages for today. And like last week, one comes from the Old Testament and one from the New. And the first is from Leviticus chapter 26, verse 13. Now God has just delivered his people from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. And following the release, God wanted to make good on his covenant by handing over to his people the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, a land flowing with tremendous resources and great abundance. And so he said this to his people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck, so you can walk with your heads held high. And our second passage comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 7. Now, Paul discovered that the church in Galatia was actually regressing in their new faith rather than growing because they were drifting back into their old ways of religious life through legalism and obeying religious rules. And Paul's trying to persuade his contemporaries that their new identity as followers of Jesus, is no longer tethered to the old covenant law because Jesus fulfilled that law on their behalf. He did what they couldn't do, and he set them free from the law and all of its requirements. And to argue his case, Paul said this, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I've entitled today's message, Identity Confusion. Let's pray. Father, I have nothing to present to your people today. I need a fresh indwelling, a fresh anointing by your Holy Spirit. I pray, O oh God, that your words would become my words, and that through the power of your Spirit, they would fall on listening and abiding hearts. And I thank you with great anticipation, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in case you haven't noticed, there's a lot of commotion about identity in our culture today. Because the truth is, the world is suffering from identity confusion. These are extraordinary times that we live in because the lines have been blurred as we observe people ignoring their creator and reinventing themselves as they see fit. And I believe we're just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg as identity confusion now extends far beyond gender alone. In fact, people are identifying as almost anyone or anything according to what seems right in their own eyes. And of course, all this is being supported and applauded by a confused and misguided culture. 
For example, I recently read that Brown University, an Ivy League school, will begin allowing their graduate students to self-identify as persons of color. And what it boils down to is just believe it, claim it, or check a box, and it becomes true for you and the people around you. It really is a bizarre world that we live in, and it's becoming more bizarre by each passing day. Now, that being said, a discussion about identity is not without merit, because how we identify and who we identify with will impact our lives and the people around us. Stated another way, what you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. In other words, you will usually act or behave in ways that are consistent with what you believe about yourself or who you believe yourself to be. And as Christians, people who identify with Jesus, if you embrace the truth about yourself as a child of God, you'll be well positioned to live the life the life that God intends you to live. However, if you choose to embrace lies and false accusations about yourself, you'll struggle to ever make sense of your Christian life because what you read in Scripture won't line up with your own life experiences. Soon after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, the Lord instructed Moses to send spies into the Promised Land so they could see firsthand what God had prepared for them following their miraculous deliverance. As they scouted the territory, however, they became paralyzed with fear because they couldn't see past the giants that inhabited the land. And in the end, they chose to live in their fears rather than their identity as the chosen people of God. In other words, they experienced identity confusion. Because although God broke the yoke of slavery for his people, as we read in our text, we sadly see that they refused to embrace their new identity as free people, protected and led by the Most High God. And so they drifted back into their old ways of thinking, clinging to their old identity as slaves. And that eventually led them right back into self-inflicted bondage. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be hard-pressed to think of a more miserable existence than wandering around in a wilderness for 40 years waiting to die when God had so much more planned and prepared for them. What began with great promise and great hope for God's people ended tragically, all because they refused to recognize who they were and live confidently according to their new identity. Now, if you're in Christ, you too have been set free from slavery. Look back at our text. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Jesus came to set the captives free, and you were once a captive, held in spiritual bondage, but no more. You are no longer a slave to the law. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to death to your own flesh, or to the devil. Paul said in Colossians 2.15, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He not only disarmed them, but he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And let me tell you something. If you identify with Jesus, then you too share in his victory. His victory over Satan is your victory. It's been credited to you. 
It's been granted to you. It's been given to you, not because of anything you did, but because of who you know, because of who you identify with. If you are in Christ, then you are one with him. And his identity is your identity. And you are free to walk in the confidence of that identity. Paul said in Romans 8.15, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You are no longer a slave because of your identity in Christ. However, like the Israelites, even though we have been set free, we must still choose to walk in the confidence of that freedom. Because the church is not immune from identity confusion. I see it all the time. If your Christian life lacks joy and peace and confidence and security, then it's possible you may not fully understand who you really are and what God has made available to you. He broke your yoke of slavery by sending Jesus, and you are free in Christ, but you must choose to walk confidently in his victory on a daily basis. That's why understanding scripture and reading scripture is so important because it's all in there. And it has much to say about who we are as redeemed, restored followers of Jesus. When the Israelites forgot who they were as God's people, when they forgot who they identified with, they began saying things like, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. All the people we saw were huge. There were giants there. Why is the Lord taking us to this country so we can die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Oh, that we would return to Egypt. And before we're too hard on them, we too can forget who we really are. And we can find ourselves saying similar things and questioning God's wisdom in his goodness, and forgetting that he's big enough to conquer and overcome any giant that we'll ever face. Our God is pretty darn big, and if you identify with him, you can walk with your heads held high. Because not only are we no longer slaves, but our text also tells us we can walk confidently as one of his children. You see, your slavery has been replaced with sonship. You are a child of the king. You have been purchased by Christ and adopted into his family, thereby making you sons and daughters of the living God. Paul finished Romans 8.15 by saying, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And the word Abba is an Aramaic word. And it's the equivalent to our English word, Papa. It's a term of endearment handpicked by the Holy Spirit to illustrate the tender affections and the love that your Father has for each of you. He loves you with an everlasting love that can never be taken away or dismantled. Nothing can separate you from God's love. That's the testimony of Scripture. And God always keeps his word. And you know what? It even gets better than that because he loves you in spite of your fault. Like many of you, 
I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And at the end of every program, Fred would stare into the camera. I was on a first name basis with Fred back then. <laughs> he would stare into the camera and he would say this, I like you just the way you are. And I gotta tell you, that spoke to me. You know, it really takes the pressure off, doesn't it? See, I don't have to perform in order for Fred to like me. I don't have to pretend I'm someone that I'm not because he likes me the way I am. I can be just me, warts and all. Well, you know what? The same is true of God, but only in a much bigger sense. I mean, he created you, he redeemed you, and he loves you, not because of anything you've done, but because you belong to him, because you're one of his. There can be no other reason. His love for you is not dependent on the things you do or the things you don't do. And hear me now. God is on your side in spite of your faults. Your failures don't take him by surprise. Far too often we fall into the trap of thinking that God's love and acceptance wavers up and down for us based upon how well we perform. I behaved well today, God loves me more. I behaved badly today, God loves me less. You know, the thought of that is really unbiblical nonsense. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He loved you even before you came into the kingdom. Imagine his love for you now. The truth is, God's love for you is steadfast, and it's unchanging. His word said his steadfast love endures forever, and it does not depend on your performance. You don't have to perform for God. He wants to spend time with you. He wants access to you, but you don't have to earn it. We can't earn his love through good behavior. And you know what? We really wouldn't want that anyway, would we? <laughs> because we're all prone to wander, as the hymn writer said. Now, a word of caution, because this is also an area of vulnerability that Satan will try to exploit. And he'll try to exploit it with lies and accusations. Because he knows if he can get to, you to believe or to convince you that God's love for you is based on your performance, then you'll spend much of your time neutralized, spinning around on some hamster wheel chasing something that isn't there. Satan is a deceiver, and he's an accuser. And if we believe his accusations, they'll only lead to discouragement and apathy, and he knows that. And he's really good at what he does. He accuses us with things like, how could God love someone like you? You're not worthy of God's love. He doesn't love you. He barely tolerates you. He's continually disappointed in you. No one that does the things you do could ever be saved. You're worthless and unlovable. Look, if you find yourself battling against those and similar accusations, those are not of God. Those are of the devil. Do not allow the devil to accuse you and condemn you, especially when you fail, because that's the time when you're the most 
vulnerable. That's when you're at your weakest point. You see, God lovingly disciplines, but the enemy condemns and shames. And there's a big, big difference between those. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are past that. When you sin, confess it. Don't hide it. Bring it into the light and then turn away from it. Because unconfessed sin is dangerous and it gives the enemy an open door and a foothold into your life. And you don't want that. But after you confess it, get back up, dust yourself off because your papa is the king of the universe. And you are seated with him in the heavenly realms. That is your true identity. And finally, our text today reminds us that God has made you his heir. Since you are sons and daughters of the king, you possess an eternal inheritance. In other words, whatever belongs to God, and that's pretty much everything, belongs to you also. Paul describes it as the endless treasures available to those who are in Christ. And because you are his adopted sons and daughters, you can begin drawing on some of that inheritance right now. That's because God has made available to all of us the riches of his grace, the riches of his glory, of his goodness, and of his wisdom. Now, I don't have time to look at all four of those today, but I'd love to. But let's talk for a minute about his grace. Because I believe one of the keys to walking confidently in your new identity is maintaining a correct understanding of God's grace and how it works itself out in your everyday life. And what made the difference for me a number of years ago was, was when I chose to embrace a biblical view of God's grace in spite of my human reasoning that struggled to understand and accept it. Because on the surface, grace really doesn't make any sense. Because grace is receiving what we do not deserve. And it's so countercultural. Grace doesn't naturally appeal to human understanding. And like the church in Galatia, there was a rogue element to my understanding of, a, of God's grace that caused me to try and covertly earn it in some silly way through my good behavior and my good deeds and following religious rules. But I discovered it never really worked. Because even when I felt like I performed well, that just led to pride. And when I failed, the enemy just accused me. So I was caught between a rock and a hard place in understanding God's grace. However, God eventually opened my eyes to the fact that his grace cannot be earned. It can only be received through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. And you will struggle in your Christian life until you get this, until you understand that grace is the free gift of God, and we can never, ever contribute to earning it. And when we try, our Christian life gets hijacked by some false understanding of the gospel. Grace has been granted to you as a child and an heir of the living God, regardless of your past, and deserves got nothing to do with it. Jesus took care of the tab. He was held accountable for your sin and mine, and the penalty he paid was sufficient to cleanse us from everything we ever did and everything we're ever going to do. 
And your true identity as a child of God is not based on your merits, it's based on his. It's based on his finished work on the cross followed by an unprecedented resurrection, a deadly combination that destroyed Satan and freed you from slavery, thereby making you right with God, and as a result, provide you with a new and a redeemed identity. If God is for us, who the heck can possibly be against us? When they were freed from slavery in Egypt, the Israelites were only a short distance away from the promised land. However, a journey that should have only taken 11 days instead took 40 years because they experienced identity confusion. Let's not make the same mistake because if we do, we run the risk of wandering around in our own self-inflicted wilderness incarcerated by our own faulty thinking. The scriptures are provided for our benefit, and they have a lot to say about our identity as children of God. And they provide more than enough evidence to enable us to understand, embrace, and walk confidently in our new identity. For example, you are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You are united with the Lord and one with him. You have been purchased by Christ. You are a member of Christ's body. You are a saint. You are his masterpiece. You have been adopted into his family. You have been redeemed. You are complete in Christ. Does that get you juiced at all? Because if not, there's more. You are free from condemnation. You cannot be separated from God's love. You are a citizen of heaven. You are hidden with Christ in God. You have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You are a temple of God. You are born of God, and the evil one can't touch you. You are a branch of the true vine, Jesus. You are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And let me add another one. You are partakers in the divine nature. You are partners with God in his divine nature. Now, I don't understand the full implications of that, but I'm thinking it's pretty awesome. <laughs> we sang earlier, standing on the promises of God. You know, these are his promises for you. And God keeps his promises. He's got a pretty good track record, and he's not going to ruin his reputation on you or me. You see, God has a lot to say about who we are, but so sometimes we forget that. We've got to believe him, but you know what? If you do, if you believe these promises and you walk confidently in them, it will change the way you view yourself. Because you know what? There's nobody that's harder on you than you. We always think of ourselves in negative terms, with negative self-talk, and we put ourselves down. You know what? God doesn't do that. He doesn't. Let's not give the enemy any help. It's a difficult world out there. We don't need to think that way about ourselves. And the next time the enemy does accuse you, tell him you're not picking up what he's laying down. Remind him of who you are. Refute his accusations with Scripture. That's what Jesus did. 
Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. So let's choose in 2018 and beyond to walk confidently in who God says we are. After all, as creator and redeemer, he ought to know. And I said at the beginning, what you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. And the battleground for what you believe about yourself takes place in your mind. And that's why Paul said, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because the renewing of our minds doesn't happen instantly the day we get saved. It's a lifelong journey and a process. But we do have to work at it, reminding ourselves of God's promises. But it all begins with the right foundation. And the right foundation begins by embracing your true identity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have an identity that cannot be taken away. I thank you that we can walk with our heads held high into a new year because of who you are and because you walk with us every step of the way. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.